Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym. And what I like to do here on the pod is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to have conversations surrounding sex and sexuality. Today, I'm very excited. This is someone that I had on the stage show way back in the day, and I have not had them on the pod yet. So here we are. Welcome to the Mike Everybody writer of N.A. Urban Fantasy C.E. Hoffman. Hello, C.E. Hey, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for reaching out. Yeah, of course. I was so excited to see that on top of all the other amazing work you do, you also host this podcast. I most certainly do. (laughs) That's so great. I mean, you have such an amazing stage presence, so it doesn't surprise me that you can extrapolate that just with the power of one's voice. That's what I love about podcasts too, is they're really intimate. It's literally just a voice in your head. Mm -hmm. Well, ideally voices, if there's a guest on. Mm -hmm. Just a voice in your ear. Sometimes I think (laughs) I'm friends with the the podcast host that I listen to. Sometimes they (laughs) they feel like friends. That weird line is crossed where I'm like, I feel like I actually know you though. Oh my gosh, but I love that about art. You know that idea that our personality is essentially the conglomeration of the five people we spend the most time with. Mm. I love that idea of extending it into the content that we consume, right? Even if someone isn't literally in the room with you, if you always read a certain author or you always listen to a certain podcast, I think they are equally influential as the people you see at work every day. Oh my God, certainly. I love that you said that. It's so true. Um, like if I tell people my top five podcasts, you know, I bet you could get a pretty good idea, you know, of like my personality, you know? <laughs> exactly. I think it was actually Mark Ruffalo who said that you can tell a lot from a person by what their playlists are. And I yeah. think that involves podcasts also. <laughs> that's so true. And that's funny that um, specifically you mentioned music. I'm, um, I'm like... I'm attempting to get back on some of these online dating apps and some of them, you know, you can link your Spotify, right? So you, so people can see what you're listening to, to kind of feel you out a little bit more, which is kind of cool. It is. But for me, it really makes me feel adrift in pop culture because I was back on a few as well recently and I actually Mm -hmm. met a lovely person through it, but Almost any time they had their Spotify plugged in, these various people, I would look at it and go, I know none of these artists. I am so out of touch with modern music. (laughs) There's that. There's that for sure. I'm like, hmm, I've maybe heard of one of them. (laughs) And they all have numbers in their names now. And they, they really have done away with capitalization, I've noticed, like, no more capitalization in band names. Yeah, it's like a Twitter handle. It's like just <laughs> a bizarre mix of lowercase numbers, symbols. <laughs> or all uppercase. Have you noticed that too? These modern albums, like their songs are all one, you know, mashed together, angry, big, all caps. It's oh, very shouting intense. at you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very attacked by this song title. And now here I am back with my show tunes. I just watched Guys and Dolls again <gasps> with my mom and dad last night (laughs) okay the original like marlon brando frank sinatra situation i mean don't you just love all the sexual subtext in those old movies where they couldn't say it so they just had to act it out in their tone their expressions their bodies like it's so electric it drives me crazy watching them oh yeah like both of those leads like they're just dripping with sexuality you know like they're just sensual beings they are and you know like when i've never had the chance to tell you this but when you performed take back your mink at one of the bedpost shows i was fangirling the heck out i was like having i was having to not squeal like i was having to force like suppression of happy squealing it was just so amazing because again i i just love that how you know they would 
speak so blatantly about sex and the power dynamics of sexuality and sensuality but again they could especially because that was 1955 guys Mm -hmm. and dolls right so censorship was pretty high up there so they had to again just work it through subtext and implications but and I mean I'm grateful I'm really grateful that we live in a time where we can be more explicit because I think that that's where we find empowerment is via specificity and that's how questions can be answered which is great but there is also something really fun and cheeky and romantic about not fully coming out and saying it you know oh 100% I actually just taught like um like social media literacy and like social media marketing kind of a class like for adult content creators so like part of the class a section of it was like this whole thing of creating a safe for work account that is promoting a not for safe not safe for work you know service mm-hmm. or or um, subscription site or what have you, right? So it's like the art, is that exactly how you're saying? Like the art of metaphor, of mm-hmm. subtlety, of um, like uh, imagery, you know, erotic imagery. So it's like playing on all those fun ways of saying it but not saying it explicitly <laughs> because you can't on regular social media very horophobic right so it was like oh, yeah. the it's the way of trying to get around it and um but you know in doing that it's kind of creating this cool space of like ooh, this is kind of creative like how can i uh, do this you know Yeah, exactly. I think one of the best ways to test our creativity is to work within certain limits. Mm -hmm. And even if those are limits of societal expectation, and it's so true, the whorephobia on social media, it's weird for me. I was on another really awesome sexuality podcast uh, called No Life Skills. And then I got a lot of sex work followers after that, which was amazing. It was so great to start connecting to that community because, of course, I do want this book to do that also. I want it to advocate in the best way I can as a writer for that community. And, And there are like some great people on there who I'm now following back, but lots of them, all of their posts are basically automatically semi-blocked on Twitter where it says like, oh, this post may have inappropriate content or it says something like that. And then I'll click show and there's nothing. Like it's just normal (laughs) human posting. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's like, what is that? Like, what is that fear where it's like, I think it is fear of the power of sexuality. Yeah, you know, it's it's patriarchal, you know, old white cis men, straight, you know, (laughs) making a platform um and trying to control you know there's religious obviously undertones to all everything Mm -hmm. um you know in kind of mainstream media and whatnot what's allowed what's not allowed and why um so yeah very very layered very layered but yeah that's the thing it's like you got to be if if you're a sex worker of some sort you know and you're having you know like an instagram account you, you know, you're going to get deleted. Like, you know, that nice thing where businesses have the same, you know, um, handle across multiple platforms. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, Because, you know, one gets deleted, and then that name is gone forever. So all of us have like six different handles across all the platforms. And we all fucking hate, you know, that they're... (laughs) It's like, that it's, exactly. It's that lack of continuity. Exactly. Oh, yeah. it's so annoying. But um, you know, that's the reason. You, if you're in this business, you have to expect it and fucking create a backup account and you know try to find your followers again and just get right back up and do it again. Yeah. And it's funny for me because this is all an experience to which I have not experienced personally. I never utilized social media for sex work. So it was surprising to me when I was getting these followbacks from these cool sex workers who are using it very clearly as that marketing platform, as you described. And I was like, huh, I never thought of that. Because <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm a total social introvert. You know, I, I put myself out there as regards to writing, but the rest, I definitely have tended more towards the back page tendencies, you know, which are just really, really subtle. Yeah, exactly. So again, I've been out of it for a while, like the entire time I've been in Edmonton. So it's, I think it again stands to that fact that the internet is a tool, you know, and it's all about one's application of the tool and the intention. It can be something really healthy and empowering. But again, there's still always going to be these hoops that you have to jump through, that you have to manage, these boundaries that you have to manage. It's such a complex thing. It's like it's created another 
layer of society and psychology, you know, for the collective consciousness, which is really interesting to me. Like I'm a bit trepidatious when it comes to the ubiquitousness of technology for sure, but I try to keep an open mind as well. But even in some of my stories, one in particular I'm thinking of in the collection, it's it's pretty obvious that, you know, I'm a little bit neophobic and definitely tend towards some technological cynicism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I understand that. It's like, it also um, got censoring specifically and like, you know, different platforms and resources and whatnot taken away from us like since Fossa, that for sure changed like that's when Backpage went that's when a lot of sex worker resources were suddenly and, and places to meet online like community mm-hmm. you know hubs were suddenly taken away so it's like it's just going downhill from there now that they now that like you know conservative America and Canada um, mm-hmm. you know will always equate sex work with sex trafficking um <sighs> you know, and porn with, with child porn. And you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's just the purest kind of savior complex of like, you know, yeah. Thinking that literally any expression of sexuality is, um, means that it's against someone's consent, either the person, you know, uh, in the pic video, whatever profile porn or the person watching. And it's like, Jesus Christ. It's just such a stultifying conflation. You know, to me, whenever I see people create insecure triangulations, black and white compartmentalizations, I see that that's, well, it's obviously an oversimplification, which usually means that they are unwilling to go deep enough to embrace the nuances of a certain topic. And I think when it comes to sexuality and sex work, people still do that because it is still still which blows my mind but it is still part of our collective shadow it's still not something that we're comfortable bringing to light but and i understand again like it's always that balance and it's about individual nuance and how much privacy you want but i still think as a collective we need to be willing to take these things out into the sunshine and see that they're not so scary and be able to sort things out appropriately you know it's the whole you know, you need to turn over the apple cart and look through each apple. There's no, why would you just throw out a, you know, a beautiful mm-hmm. cart of apples just because you maybe saw a worm in one or maybe you even just heard yes, there was a worm. there was a worm in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And you don't want to dig through it because you're scared of what you might find. I mean, people are always scared of things that challenge their presuppositions yeah. because it is so much mental and emotional energy to relearn and undo them. And I understand that. I understand that people are so stressed and exhausted and distracted. But the thing is, we need to be willing to do that work and be in the uncomfortable space of, oh, I was wrong. I was mistaken. I've been Mm -hmm, there too. mm -hmm. You know, like before actually consciously involving myself in sex work, you know, and finding so much empowerment and complexity therein, I didn't understand it at all. And I definitely was not pro-sex work because I didn't understand it. And that's like still an embarrassing thing to own, but it's important to own too, to show people like, this is just about you journeying as a person and finding your own education within this, you know? Yeah, certainly. And like, let's be clear that Sestin Fosta is much more about trafficking, trafficking, like people knew it was about sex workers and would shut down sex workers and take away access and criminalize them even more so. And like, they were aware of that too. Like, yeah. You know, so it was an attack and, you know, anything that was put in place for SESTA-FOSTA to quote unquote reduce, you know, trafficking only affect adult consensual sex workers. <laughs> so yeah. they knew what they were doing also mm-hmm. with that. You know what I mean? Abso- oh, absolutely. We need to yeah. be conscious of when it's actual prejudice fueling these actions too. And I do think that for lots of indi- individual people, it is still more about ignorance and the need to educate. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so the state of sex education, you know, mm. it's in schools even and, and outside of schools. It's like another part of Sestin Fosta was shutting down all sex education. You know, like many oh people lost their podcasts. Many people who were strictly sex education platforms, like say on Instagram, you're a sex educator on Instagram would lose their thing because they're 
typing the word sex and wow. you know the algorithm is finding it and and uh, banning them and deleting them so i mean that happened with the bedpost uh, i'm on my yeah i'm on my fourth oh, maybe no. bedpost account i'm on my like seventh dom account but wow. like bedpost shut got shut down four times um and it was purely just about sex education sometimes some burlesque stuff was on there but yeah I mean, it's it's just this most perilous irony to me where sex is the way we all have arrived on the planet. It mm-hmm. is literally like one mm-hmm. of the most pivotal aspects of human existence. And maybe that's another reason, again, why people are so scared of it, because it is congruent with death. It's congruent with the unknown, mm-hmm. with the uncontrollable, right? It's all of that taboo stuff, which, again, unfortunately, has often been projected on marginalized identities minorities the feminine those kinds of aspects so again i think it just comes back to embracing your own discomfort you know and not automatically equating the unknown with evil or Mm -hmm. wrongness recognizing that there's gold in shadow but you just have to be well equipped enough to actually go through it and again i mean if we're being honest (laughs) I don't know how many people are ready for that. I think that it's important. That's why advocacy exists, you know, is that we start to pave the road into the big bad forest and then we can come out and see, see, it's okay. Like, it's not a big deal. I can take you and guide you in this. And I think that's why for me, I really love writing because people can take from it whatever they will. And hopefully they'll take comfort and inspiration from it. But I've always wanted my writing to just be these little postmarks that I leave behind in the world to encourage people to keep going and keep exploring. Yeah. So, okay, what a great segue. Can I done it better myself? Um, let's talk about your new collection of short stories, Sluts and Whores. Two groups of people that I, I know intimately. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny that we're, you know, talking about the fun of subtlety and subtext. And then I'm like, yeah, so my book is called Sluts and Whores, all caps. Exactly. I just, I don't know. It's funny for me. I love it. I guess I'm also still a bit naive because this collection just came upon me. I've mentioned this before to people where I was in a really low space in Toronto and I was looking through some of my old published fiction, like from my teens. And I was like, wow there's lots of sex workers in these stories, you know, and they were already really humanized, really people. And I could tell that I was kind of working out something subconsciously with my own identity, with what I knew I was meant to do, you know, as part of my exploration and development of self. And it was really exciting to me because of course I do believe in the importance, if you can, as a writer to write from your own experience, you know, or at least from that, which you have witnessed, right. The own voices thing. Mm -hmm. And, And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, this is a collection I can own with all of my lived experience in this. I can represent, I can advocate from a very privileged position, but it's still something I can do. And so I just, you know, had this beautiful vision of the the cover exactly as it eventually was designed and printed, you know, with sluts and whores. And I just thought, oh, yay, so pretty, so beautiful. And it didn't really occur to me (laughs) that um, those words would still be a trigger point for lots of people and that people might not necessarily be ready to see sex workers humanized and diversified and put into this more magical universe, which surprised me. So I'm still learning clearly. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's like, but there's the other side of that. That's like, Ooh, sluts and whores. It's like, that's one you want to pick up and like discreetly flip through in the bookstore, you know, but you're afraid to buy it, you know, because it's a very (laughs) disarming title, as you said, but you're very interested to know, you know, more about it. It's like, Ooh, what, 
what is that about? So it's kind of like that morbid fascination thing, you know? Well, thank you. That was what I thought it would be, honest. And as a kind of healthy challenge to people's preconceptions and prejudices, especially regarding sex workers and feminine sexuality. You know, that's what I thought is that it would just be a really, you know, like, I mean, we live in an age now where there are self-help books that have swears in the mm -hmm. title. So yeah, I just right. kind of thought like, this is going to be pretty it's standard bold. for people. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's edgy. It's you know, I thought, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, that's what I thought. And I think it is still true. But yeah, as to whether people are willing to dare the purchase yeah. is another question. Certainly. <laughs> totally. It's a gift. Can I have a gift receipt with that? Yeah. It's not yeah, for me. Can, can I have no. a brown paper bag? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I worked in sex toy retail for quite a while. Awesome. I, I understand people buying something and looking the sheepishest. <laughs> yep. Upon getting to the register, <laughs> oh, I I've always wanted to do that. I was a I was a salesperson at the Taboo Naughty and Nice sex show here in Edmonton years ago, like almost ten years ago now. And I, I'd love to to work more permanently at at a sex shop because again, like we were talking about, if the mainstream avenues continue to curtail distribution mm -hmm. of powerful knowledge then the underground is always going to respond to that need. And so you'll have, you will still find these community centers, even if they are just, you know, a store where you can go and ask honest questions about lube. And the mm -hmm. person there will be very happy to talk to you without shame. Like the need will always be supplied. And as much as it's important for us to advocate for, you know, the mainstream, especially when it comes to rights, especially safety rights, the right to work and the right to work safely. Those are obviously super important things we need to push for. But at the same time, it's like, I'm also okay with these things still being underground because at least our needs are met there. And like, if we're talking about community, of course, there are some great sex work advocacy groups. You know, I worked mm -hmm. with Safe Space in London, Ontario. I'm recently connected with Answers now here in London. And I've been talking to some great uh, swap groups down in the States. And, you know, these people are amazing and they do work from a grassroots philosophy, which awesome. is counter to mainstream culture to begin with. You know, it is iconoclast in that regard. Love that. Yeah. The ones here in Toronto are Maggie's, um, sex work, um, like support and advocacy and like fundraising and whatnot. Um, and then also the butterfly network, which is for a Asian migrant workers. So yeah. To, awesome. And rainbow railroad just in general for just like queer, queer sex workers is like some of the ones here, but, um, but, uh, yeah. Oh, you said something that made me think, but what was it? <laughs> well, honestly, I'm just really flattered that something I said made you think. So I'm just basking in that glow right now. I'm like, hee hee, yay, that's so nice. <laughs> and they do. I mean, I've I've uh, also had the pleasure of having you at a bedpost. So I've heard you, I had the lovely pleasure of you actually reading one of your stories. So I know mm -hmm. the like the power that they hold, you know what I mean? So I have no doubt that Sluts and Horrors is fantastic. Are you able to tell us what inspired you to write these this particular collection? I think it was definitely, you know, an obvious child. I love what her father says to her, you know, that some of the greatest inspiration can come from the lowest part of your life, mm. you know, and she's dealing with that breakup. And I definitely think this collection was just a real karmic gift to me. I was really struggling in Toronto. You know, I couldn't find work. I had a few really triggering incidents occur with landlords and, and the like, you know, just the, the perils of the big city, as it were. And I, I moved so much of that stress into the cultivation of this collection. And it was just a real blessing to see that all of this work that I'd done in this previous decade could actually amount to a viable product. You know, like, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's in Go Tell It on the Mountain uh, by James Baldwin. There's this, oh, this scene that always hits me where uh, the protagonist is doing his chores. You know, he's a boy 
and there's this rug in their living room that just accumulates dust. It's a magnet for dust. And he has to sweep it and brush all the dust away. And when he finally reaches the end of the rug, you know, and he feels like he's just amassed a continent, he looks back <laughs> and in the sunlight, he can see dust yeah. already accumulating on the rug. And I think that's how lots of artists feel. <laughs> terrible metaphor isn't it isn't it's it? too true it's just so heavy it's like oh yeah i have to carry that fucking rug around with me and i'm constantly trying to brush it off but this was really a respite from it you know i've written lots of full-length manuscripts also but i've had i'm blessed to say i've had a lot of short stories published in various publications since i was a teenager and it was amazing to finally in retrospect see that this was a portfolio that I could launch off into a full-length publication via a collection, you know? So it was all of that, again, combined with with noting the cohesion of this theme that was there. Because, of course, you know, Sluts and Horrors, as much as I do want it to be a valuable and positive mouthpiece for sex work advocacy, it also deals with some darker sides of sexuality. It deals with trauma. It deals with ambivalence, you know, and you know, questions which are less easily answered. Mm -hmm. And I think that the most conscious writers approach their work as exorcism of the self. Mm -hmm. And for me, this was definitely a collection to alleviate my shames. You know, lots of shames which didn't belong to me, shames which did belong to perpetrators or to societal expectations. And it's been so freeing and beautiful to get these messy chunks of my heart out there. Yeah, good for you. You know, and have that positive feedback from people. I've had young femmes, particularly, who have read the book, message me saying, this has helped me so much. Yeah. This has helped me understand, you know, my pain about breakups or my sexual trauma or like it's helped me feel better about being a sexual being, you know, and that... I mean, what more can you ask for when it comes to feedback? You yeah, know? I was going to mention when you were talking, I'm like, but you know, it's not just masturbatory, right? Like people reading this are going to be deeply affected by it and gain insights from it and see themselves in it, you know, and release their own shame surrounding these topics and maybe these, you know, individual moments that you're creating. So it's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I think anything has the capacity to shape and influence people. And, you know, even with my next collection that I'm working on now, Losers and Freaks, I hope that's going to do oh, the same thing. That's a great follow-up title. <laughs> Thank you. It mirrors it, you know. Yes, oh. that's my hope too, you Love know, to it. go into that kind of younger part of my shame, you know, of being bullied and feeling like a misfit. And again, bringing truth and power to those areas of shadow too, you know, Certainly. and again, recognizing that, yeah, you're right. Obviously this is collective art is an opportunity for collective healing. And that's one of the things I love so much about it, but also recognizing that everyone's going to be healing at a different place. People yep. may not different be ready. Rate, yeah, time. exactly. For this collection or the collection following and that that's okay. Cause as long as you are true to yourself, you will find your community, you will find your audience, even if only underground, which is fine. Yeah, totally. Okay, I'm going to lead us into the break with the thought that I remembered that I had. And it's yes. very apt because, because they're also a sponsor of the podcast. You mentioned Perfect. that you, um, you know, would like to have a more full time position working at a sex shop. I know you're not in Toronto. But if you were come as you are as hiring. And here we are going into the break with our lovely commercial from come as you are. We'll be right back with CE Hoffman. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. 
Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. So, okay, what I want to ask you uh, when you were talking about, like, your... Uh, with Sluts and Whores and then your intended follow-up collection after this. For you, where is the relation between being a slut, becoming a whore, and having had been, or maybe you're currently, (laughs) a loser, a self-identified loser or freak, or maybe not even self-identified, as you were mentioning, bowling and whatnot. Where Do you think they're related? And if so, How? Oh, that's such an excellent question. And I think, sadly, there is a lot of relation there. At least there was for me when it came to the ways that I was bullied. It never really occurred to me until later that a lot of the ways I was bullied by masculine people were, were forms of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. never really occurred to me. I knew I thought it was weird, you know, that I'd only ever made out with one guy over the summer how that suddenly you were labeled yeah red letter yes for the rest of your high school career or whatever yeah it was a big a big big scarlet a right and like all of these these jokes of like you know oh yeah like she likes anal and like you know like things that were like they were fashioned as being disparaging and shaming and it's only now that i realize wow that's the degree to which we still shame sexuality. The idea that you can use it as a tool of hurt against someone. I mean, that really breaks my heart. I mean, I I definitely advocate for sex workers being humanized and being representatives of their humanity. But in no way does that negate our sexiness. Because yeah. we are sexy humans. You know, we're Venuses, you know, whether we're male, we're female, or anything yeah. else. Like, exactly. Yeah, whichever, right? <laughs> Any of the above. And and we do have, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, an excess of a certain chi. You know, maybe our Svadasana chakras are more open than other people, but we have an erotic energy. And it is such a blessing. It's such a gift. It's such a superpower. Mm-hmm. But when we grow up in a society that doesn't think of it as such it's treated like a curse Mm -hmm. it's treated like a defect it's treated Mm -hmm. like something that makes you bad like oh like even with the whole goth thing you know when I was being bullied I was dressing really you know alternative and emo and goth and there and there was that same overlap that occurred this this presumption that like you're loose and you're you're kinky and that's all dirty and bad and weird it's queer weird queer you know exactly weirdness otherness other it's othering right othering you via these ideas about your sexuality and for someone that you know I am gender fluid and I always self-identified as really ugly you know I've struggled with body dysmorphia for a lot of my existence on this earth so I definitely found zero empowerment in being sexualized and it really was through sex work, through those avenues that I finally started to take that back, to take mm-hmm. it back into my body and into my heart and my hands. And and I suddenly realized what a gift it is, you know, and how blessed I am that it's a creative gift. It's a manifestation of the creative force, just like my writing is. And that ties in too to the losers and freaks thing where it's like, you know, I'm not currently diagnosed, but I have struggled with mental health for the majority of my life also. And mm-hmm. I no longer want to think of that as there's lots of words, you know, like it's such a, a triggering, a triggering place. So like the, you know, some of the things I thought of, of aren't necessarily the most, imp- yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're not yeah. the most appropriate words. Like the, cause the first thing I was going to say was handicap, which of course might, you know, not be 
the best word for other people too. But I think it does stand too to advocating, you know, to not be ableist also because it's like, okay, my brain yeah, works mental differently. Health, mental health is a disability. Yeah, yeah. right. Sure. You know, like my brain works differently. My emotional disabilities. Yep. It is, exactly. But it's yeah. like, that's not a curse. It's a superpower as long as I know how to wield it with honor and power and truth and love, you know? So they are all intertwined. I look forward to the day when they aren't. I don't know if you've ever read it, but there's this great book called Every Anxious Wave. I don't remember the name of the author. Oh, it's really cool. It deals with time travel. And uh, (laughs) there are these two guys, you know, kind of geeky music guys. And the one guy gets to talk to someone from the future and says that, you know, I asked her if there were popular kids at her school and she didn't know what popular kids are. And he's like, it literally took an apocalypse for people to stop caring about popularity. <laughs> Popular with whom? Exactly. <laughs> killing you know, it online. <laughs> exactly. Like, so I just, I don't know. I just loved that, that idea where it's like, we are pack animals. We are tribal. There will probably for a long time still be that idea of hierarchy. Yeah. But... Hierarchy as well. Yeah. Hierarchy. We never oh. expected it. But once we got there, it was like, oh God, it's here too. Oh, it is huge there. Oh. I mean, I did a lot of stripping, right? And there's a lot of that with, uh, with people who identify, you know, as dancers or strippers. As a... Yeah. Oh yeah, like it's there's a lot of doing stigma. extras and doing yeah yeah there's tons of stigma and shame with that right like it's kind of similar to colorism right that you might see in pox circles where it's like oh shoot we've internalized this too. Oh, so much about that I identify with. I also why I asked the question um, is for me I think my history of being you know a young person and being bullied. Um, you know, and being told that I was a loser and also, also slut and also lesbian and also, you know, like that queerness, otherness, that like slutness, otherness, and then also just like being, you know, physically feeling ugly, you know, when I was a kid and young adult, you know. And I think I carry that very much around today as, you know, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of us do, you know, all these experiences, like just because they were a long time ago, doesn't mean that they're not influencing the way we go about our day-to-day life today, you know? Um, And like, when I think about my intentions um, about getting into sex work, it's like a lot of taking back that power stuff, but also like the underbelly of it is like that I got into it also like to feel desired, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's just stuff that I also was like butting up against, you know, like what are my intentions with this? And, you know, working on that, if there are intentions that are cloudy, you know, or that are, you know, um, maybe re-triggering my self, my, my traumas rather than, you know, doing work on them in a good way. And how can I do this in a better way, in a way that, you know, is empowering to me and is helpful to me going forward and dealing with my, you know, struggles that I've had in my past, my mental health history and my taking care of myself for today and in the future mental health wise, you know what I mean? And like choosing every day to do this in a way that makes me feel good. Oh, yeah, there's so much beautiful truth that you just shared there. And I just love that, that that's what it's about, right? It's that daily commitment to Mm -hmm. self-awareness and recognizing that there are going to be cloudy spaces and probably cloudy spaces will exist for all of our motivations until we die. I think that humans are so infinitely beautifully complex. I know there are some people that would disagree and say that we're really simple, mm-hmm. but the more you get to know someone when they actually really open up their heart and soul to you, which again, I think as sex workers, we're very lucky to have clients that share that much with us, yep, you know, ability and their secrets. And, oh, yeah. like everything beyond the body. You know, I always say, and I'm sure I'm not the only one to say this, that like people tell sex workers things that they would not tell their therapist. Oh yeah. hundred percent. 
I'm I'm often the the only person that knows that thing about them, you know, the only person they've ever told it to, which is like, wow, what a sacred thing when you think about that. It is so sacred. I mean, we are secret keepers yes. for this huge oh. faction of humanity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, another thing, another intention I thought of while you were talking um, was, which is, you know, these, another one of these like cloudy intentions, but maybe not. It can, I guess there's two sides to every coin. Mm-hmm. The idea that so many men have hurt me, you know, um, and so many men continue to just want access to me and think they deserve access to me you know, without my consent. So another intention for me was like, well, I'm going to be objectified as a woman going through life. So this is a way I can at least kind of gatekeep it or attempt to anyways by a paywall, you know? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. It is one of the most powerful boundaries. It is our first yes or no. And it is so true that as people who haven't necessarily had that power over our own bodies or people have treated us however they wanted and taken whatever they wanted from us, suddenly we have our first healthy boundary, our Mm -hmm. first stipulation of what, where, when, and how. And it is those stipulations of sex work that I think are so empowering for people because it gives you that opportunity to question like oh what am I okay with yes yeah and I and I like I like that you're mentioning that because I by all means I don't mean once you pay then you can objectify me and do whatever the hell you want because that's absolutely not true it's like once you get once you pay me then you will receive the privilege of me telling you you know, all of the ways that I am willing to show up for whatever, you know, thing you're requesting, you know? So it's like that allows the beginning of the conversation, but it's certainly not the end of the fact just that you're paying me, but it's a good start. (laughs) Exactly. It's that first step. Oh my gosh. Actually, there's this, um, amazing I actually had to look up the name to make sure it's a Herman Hess novel called Siddhartha mm-hmm. and I'm I'm certain that it's from this book I, I read a lot so occasionally I'm like is that the book and I have to look it up but I'm usually right I, my memory is usually on point with this and he does meet um well what would have been the term back then I mean, a spiritual priestess, right? Like a sexual priestess. And, you know, she talks about how you need to give the money offering first. And she warns him that if you don't do that and you just take her by force, you will find no pleasure in it. Mm -hmm. But if you respect her and you approach her as the priestess she is and you give the offering, you're going to reach amazing heavenly heights with her, right? But it's the consent. I think that's like a huge thing to say about like modern incels it's like why are you so upset about it you want to know why you're so upset about it all the time is because you've literally never engaged in consensual sexual relationship with a woman like if you had you would not be so upset about it you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you will derive no pleasure before you you know adhere to the rules either exactly. it being paying a sex worker or what have you treat just treating another person with dignity and human respect when you're trying to have sex with them. Oh my gosh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do again, this is a bit of an idealist philosophy, but I do maintain that idea that we have some type of inborn consciousness, even if it is only based on our social evolution. You know, these these ideas of things we had to cultivate just to survive in a tribe together. That's cool with me, too. You know, so if you, you know, are attempting to achieve some type of intimacy or Congress, you know, without dignity to yourself or to the other There's something in you that knows that. There's something in you that acknowledges that misalignment and you're not going to feel comfortable. You know, like in times, you know, where my boundaries have been taken from me wrongfully, you know, obviously there's so much trauma for me as the recipient, but as a really empathetic being, I can tell that there's something off in them too. They don't feel good about what's happening. They know this isn't the way it's quote unquote supposed to be. You know, whether or not ideals exist, we still have a consciousness of their possibility. Yeah. And and to me, that's kind of what a moral conscious 
conscience is, right? A moral conscience is having enough imagination to imagine how things could be. Yeah. The yeah. best possible way they could be and trying to align yourself to that in your behaviors and recognizing that it is always going to fall short, you know, because we live in such a complex world, you know, and intention in no way determines consequence, but starting with intention is the most important thing. And I think like you were saying, you know, about really looking into your intentions with sex work, that's where it all starts figuring out your whys, you -hmm. know, and holding to that. That was, um, a part, another part of this class that I taught actually was like emotional labor and boundaries. And, you know, even sex workers who do strictly online work and never have any in-person contact with clients, you know, doesn't mean that you've got to do the work with defining your boundaries, enforcing them on a daily basis. Once again, you know, you're going to constantly have to assert yourself and it's work. It feels like emotional work and it is. Um, and just that, you know, to try and do it in the easiest way possible for you, like at a lot of different hacks, I'm like, you only got to write up this thing once and then just copy and paste it, you know, going forward, (laughs) basically, like expect, you know, these types of responses, either from ignorance, or, you know, people just being assholes, you know, because they think they can in this space. Um, You know, or, uh, you know, people trying to do it right, not knowing what to do. I mean, that's ignorance. What's the other mm-hmm. one that I was thinking? Um, you know, just be as prepared as possible for all this stuff that's going to come your way because that was, that's the other thing that once there's money involved that we just kind of mentioned, it's like a lot of people think once they pay, then, you know, you're available to them 24-7 for whatever mm-hmm. fucking reason. Or like, you know, they can do what they want with you. They can... They have full access to you now. And it's like, no, you paid me for this five-minute custom video that you bought. Mm -hmm. I would love to continue sexting with you, but that's a paid service that I offer via this link on Night Flirt. You know what I mean? Like deflecting (laughs) and pivoting the conversation towards a sale. And, you know, you're enforcing your boundaries at the same time or you know if you don't offer that service by all means like that's not a service I'm currently offering you know Um, but I would love to receive your custom video request the next time you would like to purchase one (laughs) good day to you sir beautiful diplomacy I love it and I think that's so important because again just because it's in this screen land it doesn't mean it's not impacting us emotionally and psychologically. It is more, you know, for my experience and as far as my preferences go, there was too much emotional stuff, you know, because like you said, that idea of, oh, I have access to you now, like when you're online and your cam is on, mm. you know, people are like, okay, yeah, go time, whatever, you know, and and I really didn't appreciate that. I really think of the internet as the wild west of the psyche, you know, oh. where there are people who just think, oh yeah, I've got the power. It's like kind of like road rage, like I'm in my car, I'm on my device, you can't touch me I can do what I want and and it's it's hard it's a great comparison right screen rage that's what it is yeah twitter rage (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I don't want to go too long without bringing up your seed and spark campaign oh yes can we talk about this for the remainder Oh, yes, please. That's amazing. I, it would have completely fallen out of my brain. because I know, I just remembered and I was like, oh, what's it called? We've got to make sure. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's excellent. Yeah, so I'm really excited about this. Winston Roundtree, who's a super accomplished illustrator and writer, he created the Subnormality web comic. He wrote, created, and illustrated People Watching, which you can find on YouTube, on Cracked. Like He's done some amazing stuff, and he's teaming up with me to create this short animated film, GTFO, based on GTFO number one, a story in Sluts and Whores. Nice. And we've got this great team together. It's a team that's actually growing even as we speak. Some amazing voice actors. I'm actually talking to a producer now, but we do obviously need some uh, some help in the financial oh, sure. arena, you know, the main thing for me is that 
all that we're asking for at this point is just $2,000 and that's going directly to production costs and making sure everyone is fairly compensated because that's important to me. I want to abide by people's rates, you know, like Winston is being super generous, you know, in how much he's reduced his rates to get this project going. But yeah, so if anybody can donate, obviously I'll provide the link. That would be amazing. There's Mm -hmm. sweet swag for donations literally as little as a dollar. So no amount is too small. Every amount is a huge help because I'm just so excited to get this going. And anything extra we make, I'll just put straight towards submitting it to film festivals to actually get it out there. Yeah, amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. That's so exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about the story that's the basis for this? Yes, it was originally published in Maudlin House magazine, thanks to the wonderful editor, Mallory Smart, who has a really cool podcast, too, called Textual Healing. And the logline for the film, which is obviously based on the story, is two sex workers bond while waiting for a bus that will help them escape the big city. Ooh, I love that. That's like a total clickbait um, title. I love it. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. It's very, I mean, it's a very character-driven story. It's mostly dialogue as the two of them are outside the bus station smoking, you know, and they're pontificating on their lives and their losses and whether or not they have any regrets and what hopes they have for the future. And it features some of my favorite characters also, Eden is one of the sex workers who shows up several times in the short story collection and will show up again in Losers and Freaks. And then Lolita, who I haven't done as much writing with, but she's like a really cool character too. It's so funny when you've written characters so long or you've been with a story for so long that they really start to feel real, yeah. you know, like yeah. independent of you. Like they feel autonomous somehow. There's something really magical about that. That's so true. Anytime that I've like read, you know, either a longer piece, you know, or um, one that's like a series with the same characters, it's like once you, you know, get into that universe, like I would finish the story and like obviously feel sad because you always feel sorry when you're done a book you love. Um, (laughs) But that that thing of like, I wonder what they're doing now. (laughs) Yes. Like, as opposed to what they were doing in the story I just read about them. It's like, I wonder where they are right now, what they're up to. (laughs) Exactly. Which is why I think there's lots of emotional investment in sequels and why they're also really disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But it's so true. It's like, yeah, some of these fun, some of these people that you meet, you know, just you're just like, I want to know what happens to them, what happened after and if things turned out all right, or if they figured Mm -hmm. that out, or finally, or they finally get a happy ending, especially those stories that end, you know, kind of on a, a note that's like, you know, not very just Disney wrap up with a bow ending <laughs> you're always kind of worried about them you know you're like oh my god wonder- you're, you're just hoping that they're okay <laughs> I I just love that you're mentioning this because that is so true of this collection and just how I write you know like there are entire books I have that have sometimes heart-wrenching endings but oh. I'm like but just wait just wait just keep reading like three more books and it'll be okay I promise you know because like I think that that's actually life. You know what I mean? Sometimes yes, there are peaks yep. for us, but a lot of the time in our lives as life goes on, a lot remains unresolved. And I think bittersweet endings in fiction help us reconcile that where it's oh, like, oh, right. That's like, such a good point. It's not all okay. It doesn't all need to be okay. It can be open-ended. And that's how we're all going. We're all doing a process. And that's why I love having recurring characters through my stories because you can see where they are are and how they grow like Eden uh, she has a story in Losers and Freaks that actually kind of shows how she chose that name Mm -hmm. Eden and you know what she was doing before she entered sex work which I think is really cool yeah I love that you brought that up it's so true because like you know you especially you know in in a lot of film and tv stuff it's like the character has an arc and at the end they've dealt with their shit and that's not how mental health goes, baby. <laughs> you know, you're never just 
figured it out or very rarely, you know, and never have to think about it going forward. <laughs> like, you know, so I love that you brought that up, that it's like it helps us re- reconcile um, a more realistic experience, our own personal experiences where we have we have constant, you know, everything's cyclical. We have to keep, yes. keep dealing with the same stuff. We don't deal with it. And then, you know, suddenly you meet someone and fall in love and you don't deal with it going forward. We deal with stuff again and again and keep trying to deal and figure out and work through it as best we can. Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah, for something like bullying trauma. I mean, sure. Yeah, gosh, yeah, what yeah, a nice yeah. world it would be if bullies no longer existed. But Unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. And I don't want to run away from bullies. I don't want to hide and just wish that they didn't exist. I want to be the kind of person who isn't impacted by them anymore, who sees them for what they are. And if anything, just pities them. You know, I want to be the kind of person who has teeth and a backbone and can defend myself because that's the only way I'll hopefully be able to defend and empower others and teach them how to be stronger too. Yeah, totally. As long as the internet exists and people can be anonymous behind their fucking comments on sex worker, you know, Twitter profiles and whatnot, there will always be bullies. Exactly. (laughs) And exactly. exactly. All we can do is just arm ourselves with our experience and shut it the fuck down. Wear out that block button. (laughs) Oh my gosh, exactly. (laughs) And that's what honestly, I do hope this collection can do for people, you know, can be a little shield on their heart that they can carry around if they're, you know, if they are being treated badly at school or online, or if they are a sex worker who feels alone. I love the idea of them able, being able to read this. Actually, I'm super excited. Swap Behind Bars is talking to me about distributing my book, to their uh, program that gets books to people who are living, you know, inside who are serving time, especially sex workers. And I just, I, I cried, you know, when, when that opportunity arose, cause I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm very, you know, into dismantling the prison system, which is a whole other podcast. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but they shouldn't be there in the first place. They should but... not be there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But you know, the idea that if I could be there with them, Even if only through my words, that would just mean everything to me, to be a little piece in their armor. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Congratulations. I hope that works out. That's an incredible opportunity. Yeah. Wow. So when does, when can people get a hold of this? Where is it? How can we get our hands on it and also give you money about it? Oh, thank you. That means that's something I love, you know, when I talk to people who are, you know, sex work advocates where they're like, we understand the importance of valuing your work monetarily. And I'm like, wow, thank you. Yeah, you're so true. It's so true. Like when you said, you know, we're crowdfunding right now to pay the people working on this project. Uh, Me as a sex worker, I'm like, hell yes, like pay other sex worker for for consultations. You know what I mean? When you're newbie, if you have the money, um, always pay people for their time and energy, you know? Yeah, Yeah. however you can. Time is much more uh, expensive than money. So, oh, yes, beautiful, beautiful for their time. Pay people for their time. Exactly. And as for the book, uh, if Amazon is your thing, though, it's not really my thing as of late uh, due to certain headlines, but you can still get it on Amazon. Us in Canada, we can buy it at Indigo, which is really cool. And it is available in indie bookstores across Turtle Island at this point. So if your local bookstore isn't stocking it, please go and ask them to. We have a distributor that they can get it from really easily. You know, so just put in the title, Sluts and Whores by C.E. Hoffman. Ask them to get it because like Venus Envy out in Halifax has it. You know, there's some amazing bookstores all all across this land we know as Canada. And uh, in L.A., actually, Book Soup has the book, which is amazing. It's right on Sunset Strip, which is so cool. But I am still crossing my fingers for a Toronto bookstore to stock it. So oh, any Torontonians I mean, listening, please put those requests in. Come as you are. Oh, my gosh. What a come good idea. I should talk to them. <laughs> actually, should. thank you. I'm going to I'm going to email them. I will. His name is Jack. Okay, Jack, get ready for an email. Tell him I sent you. (laughs) I will. (laughs) No guarantees, obviously, but (laughs) I have a feeling he might be kind of uh, open to this. That'd be great. He was open to just resending me another magic wand when my magic wand broke. So 
Thank Aww. God for Jack. <laughs> yeah, bless you, Jack. <laughs> God bless him. I tried to use it last night and it didn't work and it's only three months old. So I contacted <gasps> him to like be like, do you happen to still have my receipt? I bought it on this date. And he was like, oh no, like I will, I'll just, I will send you a new one. <laughs> like, wow. You don't need no receipt. <laughs> okay, everyone, come as you are, Torontonians, go in there. <laughs> Patron. Holler at them, yeah. <laughs> and of course, your, uh, the crowdfunding campaign. Where can yes. we find that? That'll be on Seed and Spark. I can give you, Aaron, a link that you can uh, provide to post. listeners. And it'll be, as this is being recorded, it's actually still under review, but it should be up and running, you know, yeah. by mid-August for sure. Perfect. And do you have, I know you just said you don't have social media stuff, but do you have any, <laughs> like, just with the book that you wanted to let people know about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do have a website, cehoffman.net, and you can find me on Twitter. Great. I am okay with Twitter. Like, I wade through Twitter. Like, I'm up to my ankles in Twitter, and that feels pretty good, so. Awesome. Twitter's where it's at for me, too. You can awesome. find me at the Lady Pim one I'm oh, the one that is just added, C.E. Hoffman. So you yeah. can find me that way. Uh, Instagram. <laughs> follow at, backs. Yeah, follow backs. <laughs> Friendships. <laughs> uh, on Instagram, I'm at the Bedpost Podcast or at the Lady Pim on there. We have a Patreon. It's the Bedpost Show. We have a YouTube. It's the Bedpost Sex Show. Awesome. And my last thing, I always want to thank the lovely lady who does the original music for the podcast. That's Aww. Stephanie Copeland. And you can find out the rest of her art and music at stephcopelandmusic.com. C.E. Hoffman. This has been so lovely. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for all the space that you hold for others and yourself. Oh, my God. You were just too thank you to everyone who's been listening i hope you enjoyed it we'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality on the bedpost podcast get fucked everybody bye-bye this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network 